Vendors have been peddling their goods on the streets of New York City since the mid-1800s. Today, the city is home to more than 10,000 street vendors. They hail from all over the world and sell just about everything under the sun. Good morning. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. On this morning's show, a glimpse into the lives of New York City street vendors. In just a moment, I'll be sitting down with Sean Bazinski. Sean heads a group that represents about 600 of the city's street vendors. But first, let's get a taste of what it's like to hawk your wares on the streets. If you've ever walked past the NYU Library in Greenwich Village, you may have come across tables and tables of used books and a guy by the name of Zachary Aptekar. He's been selling his books there for more than a decade. On a recent sunny and windy day, we clipped a microphone to Zachary's lapel and had him share his story. That's it, yeah. So, um, it's on now. What do you need? Yeah, uh, uh, you want fives or you want a mixture? You want, is that good? Okay. Hi. How are you? Oh, okay. Uh, Siddhartha and 100 Years of Solitude, again. Another copy bites the dust, so to speak. Why? Well, it's just still uh, Marquez, and particularly that title, are still uh, uh, very popular. Oh, I guess I shouldn't whistle. Talk to me, tell me what you see. If you, if you didn't know, uh, this is a mix of classics and contemporary fiction and nonfiction. And um, fiction sells best. I have one, two, three, I have seven rows of fiction, which include one row of classics and one row of poetry. And I have five rows of nonfiction. These are the all in the trade and trade size paperback and hardcover format. And then I've got um, I couldn't I couldn't hear you. Tolstoy? Yeah. What are you particularly seeking? Anything that isn't like this song. (laughs) Well, there are a number of things he wrote that are more brief than that. Uh, Someone's like really trying to get me to read the Russian. Okay. Have you ever read uh, Have you ever read uh, Gogol? Uh, Dead Souls. They might enjoy that. It's it's not that long either, actually. relatively uneventful. We're weather dependent, of course, um, being outdoors. Um, we listen to a lot of forecasts. Uh, well, today's the end of the month, and always those days end beginning of the next month. They tend to be slow for this kind of a business. They're each priced on the first page of the book. Of Each, each, each book is priced on its first page. Hi. Yes, this is, I'm sorry, I had to glue that back on. I'm sorry it's not in better shape. It's okay. The interior is clean, but, uh, yeah. It's six? It's six. There you go. Thank you. Yep. Enjoy it. Why are your books so expensive? Uh, is that, do you feel that they are? 
give me an example. What do I have on that? Six. Well, I try to keep it half or less of the in-print price. No, I only liked it because it was yellow. Pardon? I only liked the book because it was yellow. You only liked the book because it was yellow. Okay. <laughs> so. It's not the content of the book. Not the content. Okay. Well, I probably have some less expensive yellow books someplace. <laughs> the beauty is in the selection. I haven't heard this before. Hi, Jim. How are you? Uh, I don't really... You've got me uh, tongue-tied. I really don't know how to respond. Uh, get these strange encounters sometimes. Hi. Faulkner and uh, Ralph Ellison. Excellent. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, we try. Thank you. We try. As one of my book friends, who is not here today, says, a box of good books is no heavier to carry than a box of bad ones. Exactly. So uh, we've chosen the former. But thanks. Voices in the sky. Zachary Aptekar sells books on the streets of Greenwich Village. When the weather is nice, you'll find him outside the NYU library. Zachary doesn't need a license to sell books, but if you want to sell food or clothing on New York City streets, get in line. There's a long waiting list for a permit, and that's just one of the many hurdles that street vendors face. I recently sat down with a vocal advocate for the city's street vendors to discuss a variety of issues. Joining me in the studio this morning is Sean Bazinski. Sean is the director of the Street Vendor Project. The organization represents hundreds of New York City street vendors. Sean, thanks for coming in. Uh, thank you for having me. Before you started law school, you were a street vendor yourself. You sold Mexican food on the streets of New York City, right? Uh, that's right. I wanted to run my own business, and vending is a great way to have your own business for not too much money in New York City. I didn't have to be a vendor. You know, most vendors don't do it by choice. I did it by choice almost on a whim for a pretty short time. I was lucky enough then to go to law school, and uh, I realized that uh, law school would be a better career choice for me than selling burritos. But it was a, it was a really good learning experience, and, uh, you know, I got to, to meet a lot of, of great people, of great vendors, and I got to sort of deal with an issue that it turns out now is a big part of my life. It's a tough business. You actually have a warning on your website. You say that many people want to give up their 9 to 5 and go into street vending to kind of make their own hours, but it's tough. It's grueling. It's really tough, and, and, and we don't recommend it for people uh, who have other career options. You know, uh, a lot of people, you know, we all have dreams about a different life, and I think a lot of people who are in their 9 to 5 think, oh, you know, I could have my own business like I did. Well, I found that uh, you can do it, but uh, it's it's very repetitive. It's a lot of grueling sort of, you know, uh, labor. Really, it's it's manual labor. And once you get the business up and running, which is the fun part, uh, you'll find that you're just doing the same thing every day. Uh, long hours, you know, the weather is really is really brutal. And uh, it's very difficult to make ends meet. That's exactly what I heard on the streets of New York City. I went out to Jackson Heights, Queens, and spoke to some vendors there, and they talked about these very issues. My name is Ahmad Anwar. I'm from Pakistan. So I work here every day for selling food on Jackson Heights, 73 Street and 37 Avenue. We sell chicken rice, lamb rice, 
everyday same food. Then a chicken, an onion, green pepper. It's a very hard job. It's not easy. It's hard to do everything, you know, cook the food and take care for the food. Every day you work 12 hours. Winter time also, winter time was standing outside, you know, it's not easy. 12 hours a day, Sean, that's a long day. And some of them told me they work even longer than that, maybe 14 to 16 hours a day. It's a long day, and it's usually a long day on your feet, okay? You don't see vendors ever taking a break, almost never, at least if it's a busy cart or table. The street vendors that I spoke to, I know, were licensed street vendors, but it's not easy to get a license in New York City, is it? It's very difficult. There's long waiting lists on licenses and and for food vendors' permits. Uh, The reason is that the city has limited the number of permits that are out there. And so this leads to these long waiting lists and people who have to really struggle to even get the right to vend legally. And of course, if you if you vend without a license, you'll be arrested and your goods or your push cart will be taken away, which is uh, the worst, you know, the worst kind of penalty. The city put a cap on the number of street vendors back in 1979, right? Yeah, really uh, so long ago. You know, this was a decision of the city that was made at the urging of the big businesses that don't want vendors on our streets. There are separate limits for those selling merchandise and those selling food. Uh, That's right. And merchandise is basically impossible. Uh, The waiting list is so long. Unless you're a veteran, there are some exceptions made for uh, U.S. military veterans. They're given a special right to work. There are exceptions for veterans, but there are also exceptions for people who sell artwork, books, and CDs, right? That's right. Good point. Uh, There are, and that's why uh, a lot of people who have the skills either to do artwork or the uh, the inclination to sell artwork or books are able to to do that uh, you know it turns out there's not a, as much of a market there are in some in some places there is a market for artwork uh, you know you have Soho you have Times Square with a lot of portrait artists you know working uh, primarily for the tourists but there's just not as much of a market out there for books and art although you're right that they are allowed uh, people are allowed to sell books and art uh, without a license legally does the city have a definition for artwork when it comes to street vending Oh, well, we get into a whole, that's where you get into a whole gray area, which is difficult. And people come to us all the time and say, well, I want to sell this, uh, you know, particular thing and I make it by hand. It's very difficult because the city doesn't provide any, any bright line rules as to what is art and what is not art. And so a lot of people are left out there, uh, you know, creative people who want to sell uh, interesting things on the street are left to take the chance, and the chance is that they'll be arrested. When a street vendor is arrested, is his or her material confiscated and not given back, whether that's the push cart or the goods? Yes, it's confiscated, and uh, yes, it's very difficult to get back. Uh, sometimes we can help. You have to run 18 different places. Uh, you got to go to the precinct. Sometimes you have to fight with the city's law department. And a lot of vendors uh, give up hope, and they just uh, they just decide not to bother getting it back. In the case of a push cart, you know, it's usually worth it to spend three or four days uh, running around town to get the proper paperwork. But it's very difficult, and the city makes it very difficult even to get your merchandise or cart back. Police who are making these arrests will say that we're simply doing our job. We're enforcing the law. Do you see it that way? Well, uh, they are enforcing the law, but of course the laws we think have been written against vendors. They've been written by the big businesses uh, that, as we said, don't like vendors out there on the streets. And so it's true, the police are frequently enforcing the laws, but we need to think about what the laws are 
are they fair? And also, why are the police enforcing these laws when there are so many other things that the police could be doing? Uh, Usually, uh, you'll hear that complaints are being made. And who's making the complaints? It's the bigger businesses that don't want competition from the vendors. What about the mom and pop, though? Aren't they also complaining that street vendors are taking away their business, the local deli, the small bookshop? Well, that, that does happen sometimes. But of course, we believe in this country, right, especially New York City, that competition is good. And, uh, you know, vendors, of course, you know, sometimes have a competitive advantage in terms of price. But remember, uh, they can't be out there all day. Uh, they can't offer as much of a uh, broad uh, array of selection as, as uh, stores can. Uh, they can't stay open as late. They don't have heating and light, all the benefits that you would get, you know, from being inside a store. Does your organization provide legal support for street vendors who are arrested, who may want to challenge that arrest? Uh, We do uh, for vendors that are arrested and even more frequently ticketed, uh, though not arrested. Vendors get about 30,000 tickets in New York City every year. And one of the services or one of the benefits that our uh, organization provides to our members, we've got about 600 members, is uh, legal representation for them. When a vendor does get a license, are they given a specific street corner on which to sell their goods? No, they're not. A license or a permit allows you to vend anywhere in the city except that many streets have been closed off. So you have to find a street which is open to vending. And then there are lots of other rules even on an open street. Uh, For example, you must be 20 feet away from any building entrance and you must be 10 feet away from any crosswalk. And so it narrows down to you don't have that many good spots where you would want to vend, where there are are pedestrians uh, to vend. But there are some spots. It is still possible to find a spot. Why are some streets closed off? Again, it's at the urging uh, many years ago of the big businesses uh, that lobbied the city back, you know, 5, 10, even 30 years ago, even 50 years ago. This has been going on for so long and said to the city, listen, there's too many vendors out there. Uh, Usually they say they're blocking the pedestrians. That is the case on a few streets I've seen that happen. But if you look carefully, it doesn't happen very often. Forget about the competition that street vendors may pose to big businesses or to mom and pop shops. But what about the competition that they present to each other? And I was out on the streets again in Jackson Heights. And that's exactly what I heard from one of these vendors, that there's so much competition. My name is Ali Yusafi. I'm working just like a mobile food vendor. I'm working like uh, four years. I came like uh, four and a half years ago in America. I like this country. I like these people. I came from Afghanistan. In this block, I have we have uh, like four competition. In one block, four postcards. In one block, they need just one postcard, just one. That's it. No more. I need work because I have family. I have a wife and I have three kids, and I have um, support also my mom. We live together, and we live in Long Island City. Thank you. Sean, on one block, four push carts, all selling the same food. It's true. Uh, Remember, you've got so few streets where vendors can legally vend that oftentimes they have to cramp together into those few blocks where you're allowed to vend and where, you can, and where you can make decent business. And so this does happen. You might say, well, if there's four vendors there, then the market is able to support four vendors. Uh, we would say that uh, the city should open up more streets uh, uh, so that those vendors can spread out over different areas and serve the different communities that they would be able to serve. Put a face on these street vendors. The face that I saw out there was largely immigrant. 
That's very typical. Uh, 83% of vendors in a survey we did recently uh, were immigrants, and uh, you know, probably 95% of food vendors are, or 99% of food vendors are. Just like these two gentlemen that we heard from, uh, most of them, almost all of them are working hard, supporting families, sometimes here in this country, at, at home in their home country, sending money home, uh, living, uh, uh, living in the outer boroughs in small apartments, uh, taking the subway every day to work. Uh, working really hard. They're, uh, they tend to be family people. Um, they tend to be uh, fairly well-educated. You know, they're just honest, hardworking people, by and large, you know, that, as the gentleman said, are trying to achieve the American dream as best they can. Your group wants the city to set up programs for street vendors, English as a second language, learning how to develop a business. Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, uh, small business loans, you know, the business of uh, the city makes these loans available and helps to make these loans available for storefronts. Uh, they've never really focused on vendors as a population. Is it your hope that if the city were to help folks develop businesses that are off the streets, then they'll be opening up slots for folks on these waiting lists? And, you know, that could certainly be happening. What we see now is that people stay and renew their permits, you know, for 10 or 20 years, and there's not much mobility. There are also a few vendors out there that have sort of broken through and uh, established, you know, quite profitable vending businesses, Uh, you know, people with names, you know, people that have been able to really, you know, identify a certain segment of the market. And, uh, but, as we said, most vendors are out there selling the same hot dogs and pretzels as the vendor two blocks down, and that's not going to really uh, lead to much growth. Should there be a cutoff? Should vendors only be allowed to hold on to their licenses for a certain period of time? Well, that's you know that's an interesting idea. Uh, obviously, uh, you don't want to penalize people who, for whatever reason, might not be able to graduate to that next level. Uh, you know, it might make some sense. Uh, you know, obviously, we think it's a better idea, you know, just to raise that cap, you know, certainly, and to encourage vendors to get off the waiting list or to get off the permit list by graduating into other businesses. Let's go back out onto the streets. Our producer, Jody Avergan, caught up with a guy selling T-shirts in the Union Square area. My name is Dan. Uh, I'm uh, 29 years old. I'm selling my T-shirts at Union Square. Uh, I, I feel like T-shirts are like the new canvas almost, you know, for, for artists. And uh, I was uh, selling my photographs for about th- almost three years. And uh, they've always treated me well, but I was kind of needing to make a change, you know, uh, creatively. I started making T-shirts last summer for myself, but every time I was wearing them, people were asking me, like, where did you get that? You know, so uh, I actually tried um, I was selling them to friends and stuff, and then I, I brought them out here just to see how it went. And uh, it's been encouraging so far. Union Square, uh, we do well with the farmer's market. It's, uh, it brings a lot of people, and actually Union Square has become kind of a tourist destination in the past few years, I would say. So um, the foot traffic is, is really nice. And so a lot of people do, like this gentleman, do take to selling on the street. It's a great starting point for many, many people. And, uh, you, know, you know, really like with the immigrant population, the artist population on the street is really another representation of New York City. I know that your group recently established an award called the Vendi Award to honor street vendors with the best food in town. How did that come about? 
Uh, well, we were looking for a way uh, to really recognize all vendors, but also a fun way. And people love to have competitions. And we were also looking for a way to raise money for the organization by having a fundraising event, which would be a good time. The 2006 winner of the Vendi Awards is a guy from Queens by the name of Sammy Noor, who sells chicken gyros and stuff like that on the streets of Jackson Heights. I went out there to meet up with him, and he actually has the Vendi Award on his push cart. My name is Samuel Noor. Uh, I'm with Sammy Halal Food. And uh, started this like four years ago. Uh, I used to drive a cab. What prompted you to get out of a cab and onto the streets with food? Uh, cab was like uh, not challenging enough. And I uh, wanted to do something different, uh, more physical. So that's what brought me into it. Tell me about that award that's over there. Pretty nifty thing you have. Award is a beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. That's an honor. And, um, but it kept me, keeping me on my toe to be even better than before. And it, a lot of people tell me that I'm still a lot better and I'm still good. And I'm serving the community and make me feel very, very good and I'm proud of it. Has having that award helped business? Yes, it has. It has. It has a lot of publication, a lot of TVs, a lot of interviews, and, and it's, it, it helped a lot. So are people coming by specifically to have Sammy's food? Yes, people came from uh, almost everywhere, uh, everywhere. People came to me from uh, California. They, they, we were in town, and we intend to come here, the Jackson High especially, and they came out, and it's very, very, uh, I feel very good that, you know, somebody especially come to you from far away. I have customers coming from far, far away. We stay open till like 3 o'clock over here in Jackson Heights. Um, Manhattan location, we close early, early 10 o'clock and so. But uh, over here, yes, people come to me from far, far away and they feel good. How did you get this location? It's um, just, you know, you look around, uh, a lot of uh, homework uh, where you think you're going to be doing better. And uh, this is my community over here, a lot of Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi people. And um, uh, it, was, it's more, it was a lot challenging than anywhere else. So I, I like challenges. And, uh, uh, and these are the people who taught me a lot of things as well. Because our backgrounds are mainly with spices and this and that. So I learned, I learned a lot from them. And I like this area. Uh, that's why I picked this, this particular bus. Yeah, tell me about this spot. It's a pretty uh, heavily traveled spot. Yes, it's, it's good. It's, it's very good. Uh, when I started here with nobody around, uh, now you see a lot of cars around and uh, people think uh, I did the right, uh, made the right choice at the very good time. What's interesting are you have carts on different corners. Yes, um, a lot of <laughs> jealousy, you know, a lot of people come close to you. Uh, by law, I can't do anything and uh, I don't like to use force I'm a very soft guy so instead of uh, doing something that I'm not supposed to do I say well let me spend a little more money so I put another card another card and another card so you pretty much edged out the competition yes uh, um, what it is that uh, I figure that this is a better way to do it than, than to you know do something that I'm not supposed to
Sammy Noor is the Street Vendor Project's 2006 Vendi Award winner. Joining me in the studio this morning for Cityscape is Sean Bazinski. He's the director of the Street Vendor Project. Sean, one of the vendors we heard from earlier talked about how hard it can be to stand outside during the winter months. But for ice cream vendors, cold weather can be a career killer. My name is Tom Softy. I'm from Queens and I've been doing ice cream for 25 years. We're in Astor Place, downtown uh, New York, Greenwich Village. It's been rough so far this season. Between the winter coming into April and, and all the rain there uh, we've been having, it's uh, it's been a pretty bad year so far. Fill the cone with chocolate sprinkles, please. Well, the banana boats are very time-consuming. you got to slice it up, dice it up, strip the skin. Uh, it, it takes three scoops of ice cream and then the whipped cream and then getting the money from it. It takes about ten minutes to do the procedure, you know. I've, I've had uh, heavy set guys eat two banana boats and one shot, one shot, two banana boats. That was dinner and dessert. <laughs> a sense of humor or requirement for this job, huh, Sean? Oh, that's great. You know, vendors are dealing with the public every day, and so many times you just have wonderful personalities that they, you know, uh, uh, and that they have, and also wonderful relationships that vendors have with their customers. Sean Bozinski is the director of the Street Vendor Project. Your group is online where? Uh, www.streetvendor.org. Sean, thanks so much. Uh, thank you. Before we wrap up this week's Cityscape, we want to introduce you to Mark Fisher, one of the more creative street vendors we've ever met. Mark's a part-time fashion photographer here in the city, but for the past few years, he's spent much of his time on the corner of Spring and Crosby Streets in Soho. That's where he sells his unique jewelry, which is made entirely of exotic and often very valuable coins. Imagine this. You can take coins that have disappeared, and a lot of times you'll find them in the junk boxes if you take the time and rework them, polishing them, cleaning them up, they have another usage and they get another value. By getting another value is somebody can have a treasure on their wrist and be really happy. I mean, where else can you have your heritage and be proud of it because of the coins designed from the country that your family originally come from. On the American stuff, you have American Indian head cents, copper, and you mix those with the buffalo nickel, so you have two Indians facing each other all the way around the bracelet. And, of course, you have the silver coins, the barber coins made in the 1800s. And you have half dimes. Here's the sound of a half dime and dime bracelet. I've had my table flipped, my case, glass cases broke. Uh, people have called the police saying I'm destroying government property. Uh, and, uh, a lot of dubious characters walk up with, uh, well, if you can put holes in them, you should be able to just give them to me so I can melt them down to save them. And I don't know where that mentality comes from, but people like to have something real. That's the problem with today. They want something real, and then when they find out that real costs money, there is a hesitation. Uh, a coin bracelet, a good assembled one, takes about anywhere from an hour to six hours when you're building the chain and assembling the coins to the bracelet. It's not like, oh, I can do it in 15 minutes, because it's not going to happen. These are half dollars and quarters. 
and Buffalo Nichols. You have Barber halves, Standing Liberty halves. Just and it gives a great sound. Some people buy it for sound. Some people buy it for the country, and some people buy it just because it's got something they like on it. Um, a lady's head, a bird, a ship. Street business is generated by them going home if they're a visitor here in New York, not a tourist, because tourists don't really buy visitors. Somebody coming in town for a couple days for some convention, they'll tell their friends that they found this guy down in Soho, and then they show up and going, oh, my friend got something, and you've got something perfect for a wrist. I'd like to have something, too. When people are demanding $5 and $10 for earrings, you're going to get something was made in some sweat factory somewhere on the street. Now, when you have something that you build that's original, you get a lot of scuff. People going, uh, uh, uh. A lot of scuffing going on where they're not really wanting to spend more than $10 because they've been spending $10 or $5 for something on the street. So you have that attitude. Well, that was 15 cents in 1950. The 1950, what, three, four, and I'm going, yeah. Well, why isn't it 15 cents today? Well, you got to go to a coin dealer, you got to buy it, you got to process it, and by the time you get done, the guy's ear is falling off his head. He don't want to hear it, and he walks away. Those are subway tokens, 1950s, 1960s. That's a sterling bracelet. This is a bracelet. Yes, sir. That's 125. The subway token earrings are 20. That's from Australia. I have just about every country. This is an American dime bracelet. Those are all silver dimes. Build the bracelet. For a little girl. Oh, you want for a little girl? How about me making you a chain with just a couple on? What's her age? Well, you can't make it because I'm leaving tonight. No, I can make it right now. I'm the only one making these on the street. When I disappear, no one's going to do it. If you'd rather wear your change on your wrist instead of having it weighed down your jeans, be sure to visit Mark Fisher on the streets of Soho. He's one of New York City's many charismatic street vendors. And that brings us to the end of this week's Cityscape. As always, you can find archives of Cityscape and learn how to podcast the show at WFUV.org. My thanks to producer Jody Abergant. I'm George Bolarki. Have a great weekend.